You don't have to look far to see that our systems, our core services, our infrastructures are showing terrible signs of stress. The cracks are becoming ever more obvious, whether it be the NHS, whether it be the slow decline of the Royal Mail, whether it be ferries to the Outer Hebrides, whether it be the state of the railways, it's pretty apparent. Things aren't in a good shape. Now, each of these has its own explanations and each of it could be thought of as a special case and each have proposals associated with them to fix the problems. There are even guilty parties, in inverted commas, who can be blamed for the state we're in. Unions, management, politicians and so on. But it's not the individual cases so much. It's all of the cases together. You know, what it demonstrates is that something systemic is going on here. Something is systemically wrong. And a few more sticky plasters on this problem, a few more sticky plasters on that, and the answer isn't going to be a return to the kind of services that any decent civilised society should expect to have. And whatever the merits of privatisation, which after all was supposed to deal with the investment backlog and put our assets in a better state, it's done not much better than nationalisation did before it. In some cases, it's worse. In some cases, it's better. But it's clearly not a panacea. Private ownership hasn't led to public quality and nationalised industries still functioning out there are not delivering either. So what's going on? Why are we in this state? Why can't we just fix each of these problems? They're not complicated particularly. They're mending holes in roads, fixing the nature of the railways, applying a bit of new technology to railway ticketing, sorting out the sewage works. We know how to do these things. We don't have to wait for science to invent us, you know, fusion power or something. And when we think about it that way, we know what we need to do but somehow we can't do it. There's an obvious explanation, a systemic explanation. We're not actually prepared to pay the costs of putting this stuff right. Because, you know, the old cliche, there are no such thing as free lunches. None of this stuff will just happen automatically. Taxing the rich some more won't solve these problems. Though in some cases, of course, it might help. The fundamental issue is, as a society, as an economy, we're not prepared to pay what it takes to deliver the services, and we're not prepared to save what's required to provide for the scale of investment that's now required. We don't maintain the assets properly. We use the sticking plaster approach in desperation. And in some cases, we don't even do that. Look at the health service as an example. So we prefer consumption now, the convenient idea that, well, someone else can pay. And if not, I'm sure we could borrow and pass the cost down to the next generation. We selfishly take that attitude and we complain bitterly when the cost of living becomes a crisis 
and when we find that our standard of livings are under any kind of threat. Even the costs of COVID, we're not prepared to pay for. We were not prepared to pay for the financial calamities a decade and a half ago. Instead, we preferred to print the money. But just because that's what we prefer, and that's what we want our politicians to do for us, doesn't make the problems go away. It all could be fixed. We don't have to have QE, and we didn't actually have to inflict Brexit upon ourselves, but we have. Here we are. And now the question is, do we want to do something about the situation we find ourselves in? Now, if you ask that question, you have to then consider what a sustainable economy would look like. What would it be like for us to live within our means rather than live at the expense of the next generation? What would we have to do? What would be the nature of that economy? That's the project I'm largely engaged in at the moment. And it's not very hard to define its abiding and time-independent characteristics. The first one up is polluters would have to pay. The costs of the pollution that we cause would have to be paid by someone. And the inconvenient fact is that it's you and me that's doing the pollution. All those firms out there don't do it for fun. They don't dig up fossil fuels for the hell of it. They do it for profit because you and I demand those outputs. And we ultimately cause the emissions that follow. We should pay. We are the ones who want, ultimately, the housing and the other developments. We want the green fields concreted over because we want the houses, but we're not prepared to pay for the damage we do to biodiversity. And these unwillingnesses to face up to the costs feed through into the excess pollution we have and the damage that does to all of us. So we, the polluters, should pay. We should pay for carbon. We should pay for biodiversity loss. We should pay for the sewage, after all, it's our sewage that's being pumped into the river. And we would then have a more sustainable economy. We should pay for the public goods, which are the central framework within which any competitive or even state-planned economy works with it. Those great systems that we all benefit from, not just defence and law and order, though neither of those are in particularly good state at the moment in any event, but also the great infrastructures. We all benefit from everyone being connected digitally. We all benefit from everyone being on the electricity system. We all benefit from mail being delivered to any address anywhere six days a week. These are all, in the end, public goods and they are public services, and we have to pay for them, just like we should pay to provide decent health, and we should pay for decent education. So as polluters, we should pay. As the backbone of the public services and the public goods, we should pay. And these two things together would form the nature of our economy. The prices, in the jargon, would be right they would internalise the costs 
of the damage that we do. But that's to put right the day-to-day activities. But on top of that, we need to invest. We face a challenge which is not greatly distinct from that which confronted the Victorians. We have to rebuild our sewage systems. We have to rebuild our transport systems. We have to provide electric car charging. We have to create new decentralised power systems. We need to think very hard about how to complete our fibre networks. We have to think about what kind of railway system, bus system and so on we want going forward. And investment requires funding and finance. These are basic facts of economic life. And the other component of our inability to live within our means is our inability to save. We save very little. We're even now depleting our pensions. Business doesn't retain earnings for investment. It largely pays out profits in dividends. It's especially true, for example, across the water industry. And government is a net disaver. We're still running deficits. We don't save. And so the only savings we have to draw upon are savings of foreigners. Those who do save, and we piggyback on those savings. But remember, that's not a free ride either, because those savings have to be serviced. The profits have to be paid to help pay back what's been lent to us. And there have to be charges for the interest, the debt, and so on added to them. So if you look around and you see the cracks in our fabric, the basic fundamental core services, the basic infrastructures, our natural capital, and you wonder why it's like that. Well, it's pretty simple. We want to live beyond our means and we don't want to save to invest. And that's what gives us the consequences we can see in our economy today. Of course, it's unsustainable, can't be kept up. What is unsustainable won't be sustained. And the not being sustained bit is what happens when you ring for an ambulance and when you want to connect up new services to the electricity networks or you want to charge your car or you stand by, in my case, the even load and watch the sewage going down almost continuously through the river. This is the consequence of living beyond our means. And I'm sure it would take a brave politician to tell the public that they're going to put this right and it's going to cost us and that our standard living is challenged as a result. But that is a sad reality. And the really sad thing about reality is it's inescapable. What isn't being sustained will not be sustained and we will reap the consequences. Could fix it, could be the great generational challenge of our time, the reconstruction of these great infrastructures and services. But we have to decide to do it, and we have to pay the cost of doing it too. And our politics don't entertain that possibility. So to the next general election, it'll be interesting if any political party 
is willing to stand up and tell us the economic facts of our unsustainable patterns of consumption. Thank you.